This episode deals with adult content and topics relating to mental illness. It's not my job to be pretty. And I was like, shit, girl, you're right. It's not my job. When I first started brainstorming the Nasty Woman Club podcast, I knew I had to interview Kathy Ross because she is the definition of nasty woman. She's badass, courageous, strong, and a real fighter. I met her last year during the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games, and ever since, I've been obsessed with her photography work. I spoke to her about her latest photography projects, including kink photography, nude photography, and her upcoming exergis on the process of death. This is Kathy Ross. You've been very busy working on various photography projects. So the first one I wanted to talk about was the Body Positivity Project. How did you decide to start this photography project? Um, so I was talking to a friend about my previous kink work, and she just said to me, you know, if I was going to pose nude for anyone, it would be for you. And I was just like, whoa, that's, that's so kind. Like, holy crap, what do I do with that information? And so it just sort of got me thinking... Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should take nudes. Because I've always had like a body image problem and so many women do. Every woman does. Like, I don't know. So I just wanted to do something. What has been people's reactions since you've been taking their shots of the nude? Because I assume most of them aren't comfortable. You know, they don't every single day, they don't, you know, have someone take photos of them nude. Like what has there been reactions? So it's been surprisingly casual. I think it helps that I show up as like a bumbling idiot so they just feel (laughs) naturally comfortable in my presence because I'm clearly not a threat. Um, (laughs) The first shoot was really tough because I didn't know what I was doing and I'd never done nudes before and this lovely woman is trans and she was just like being vulnerable in front of me and I wanted to respect that as much as I could but I wanted to make good work and I just... I got anxious, but she seemed really happy with the result. So I was quite happy with that, and that bolstered me to do it more and just go, fuck anxiety, do it anyway. And where do you take these shots at? Uh, Everyone's houses. So I'm, like, really, really casual about it. (laughs) Um, I just have one camera, one lens, no lights. I just show up, wear makeup, don't wear makeup, I don't care. Clean, I don't care. And we just find a spot in the house where the light looks cool and I just say, okay, just be you. And, yeah, I just chat with them. I'm very good at lame jokes, so I managed to catch some laughs and that's about it. (laughs) (laughs) And what have been some of the reasons why people have decided to get these nude shots taken? A lot of the feedback has been I've always wanted to do it and I'm terrified, but I figured now is as good a time as any. How many times have you had to delete your Instagram? Because that many times I've seen, I've, I've had to delete this because they saw a nipple or they saw something that... It's not me deleting it. It's Instagram yeah. deleting oh, it. Instagram like, actually, actually just deletes it and just, then you're just like, oh, great, I have to start yeah. all over again. Awesome. So I'll post something and then my app will freeze and then it'll come up saying, your post was deleted for violating these guidelines, even though... I blur the nipples. Mm. I make it so they're not obvious. Like, they're not violating any rules. And I just really don't understand why people have a problem with it. Like, they're not sexual in any way. Mm. I just, they're just bodies. 
I get it. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that you, you yourself struggle with body positivity. Could you elaborate on that? So I guess like as most women, you grow up learning that you're just not good enough. And my sister used to be quite obese when I was younger and she recently lost a load of weight and I'm so proud of her, just a side note. But because of her weight, I was bullied and... You know, I used to get called things like thunder thighs and bubble butt from members of my family. So I never really had any positive reinforcement. And then one day on the internet, I saw this beautiful little black girl say, it's not my job to be pretty. And I was like, shit, girl, you're right. It's not my job. And so then I sort of stopped caring. But then I met my beautiful partner and he just like, he has never once said a negative thing about my body. And we've been together eight years, so my body's changed a lot. And I have depression, so I've done some things to my body that are not good. And he's just always being there and not judgmental. And that's really helped me feel a lot more comfortable in my skin and to quiet that critiquing voice. And also my dogs love me, regardless of what I look like. So that helps. <laughs> yes, got to trust the dogs. They're always loving no matter what. Yeah. Yes. What are your dogs' names? Abby and Luna. Ooh. And they are beautiful. Hashtag adopt, <laughs> don't shop. So then the other project you're also working on, which has been very controversial for Instagram's standards, <laughs> is your kink project. So could yes. you talk about that a little bit? What's that um, about? So I started that as a uni project. Sounds really bad saying it, but I was like trying to study a subculture and then... I immerse myself so much that I'm now just a permanent fixture in the scene. And it's just, it's really interesting because kink events are so much more comfortable to me than going to a cafe because the community is just so supportive, like all the time about everything. And they're so warm and welcoming. And I mean, they're a bunch of weirdos, but so am I. Like, so I fit in perfectly. I look forward to them. I have fun when I'm there. There are regulars that I've made friends with and they hug me every time they see me and just them being happy to see me makes me feel good about going. How do you firstly interact with that culture? Do you call up a sex dungeon and be like, hey, can I visit you guys? I don't, I've never been to one, <laughs> but can I visit you guys? Well, firstly, it was 2018. So I contacted them on Instagram uh-huh. and I was like, hey, I'm a student looking to do some research. Would you have me? And they were like, yeah, but you've got to abide by our rules. And I was like, hell yeah, I'll do that. And so I showed up and I met people and they were really nice and they were just normal people. And so I was like, okay, cool, I'm here now. And then I just started making friends, which for me is quite difficult to begin with. So what did they show you on the first day you came to visit? So basically I just rocked up to an event. Um, It was, I think it's just a casual like rope sesh. I think they called it rope bite. And there was a class going on in one room about how to tie because you need to have classes on these things. I can't stress that enough. You need to educate yourself before you go into this stuff. And in the other room, it was just like people free playing with rope, people who already knew and... I'd just go up and say, hey, can I take photos? Here's what I'm using them for. You know, you can approve them. And they were surprisingly like, yeah, go for it. Um, So I just, yeah, I watched my first rope performance and just seeing that exchange of energy and the trust and just the pure art 
of the way the body moves and the rope. It was just, yeah, I think I got hooked from that first moment. You spoke about earlier the importance of rules in the rope classes. Why is it so important to have these rules in not only rope classes, but also in BDSM? Uh, First and foremost, safety, like physical safety, but also emotional safety. It's really important to get that consent because sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes people are using kink experiences to take back ownership of traumatic experiences they've had in the past. And you don't want to re-traumatize them. The whole point is they've got power over the situation. So you really need to negotiate what their limits are and what your limits are and just so they feel safe basically in that situation and a really good top will be trustworthy and will not gaslight you or try to abuse you or make you feel like it's your fault they step into their roles once they get into the dungeon Mm -hmm. so even if the dungeon is just someone's garage it's still the dungeon and that space takes on significance once it becomes the dungeon, if you know what I mean. Oh, okay, uh-huh. So is most of the time it is just the any other room? Yeah, like one time it was a warehouse, another time it was a warehouse slash apartment, another time someone's garage, another time someone's living room. So it could just be anything. Another thing I've noticed is throughout all of the scenes, the tops always say, are you okay? Are you still okay? Like, do you want to continue? Do you want to stop? Like, they're just constantly checking in. And then once the scene is done, there's this thing called aftercare where they they just hug them, they let them know they're safe, they give them food, drink, and just let them come down. Because the scene itself is um, like a full-body emotional experience. Mm-hmm. People describe it as going into subspace. So I sort of liken it to meditation or, like, spiritual rituals a really, really strong bonding experience. Yeah. And what do you mean by the tops and the bottoms? Is that the the doms and the submissives? Is that how that works? Yeah, basically. So there are tops, there are bottoms, and then there are switches who can do either. So I guess it depends what you're talking about. So in like a BDSM domination submissive relationship, there would be the submissive and the dom. In rope, it's the top and the bottom. The top is the rigger and the bottom is the bunny. Or in impact play, the bottom is the butt and the top is the hand that's smacking it, if you know what I mean. Okay, yeah. So so with the rope, so what'd you say it was the rigger? So the rigger is the one that ties the person up and the bunny is the person that gets tied up. Yeah, they're called rope bunnies. It's just the name for being a rope model, I guess. Mm -hmm. Like, is it actually people having sex there or how does it work? People aren't usually having sex. There's usually no penetration. I do go to some more extreme kink events where that happens, but usually just with rope, it's it's just about being tied. There's no like sexual play there. I mean, they can be if you negotiate that, but most of the time it's not about that. So there hasn't been anything that you've seen BDSM-wise that you get a bit overwhelmed? Um, okay. There have been things that I have been uncomfortable with, but mainly just because it's my personal thing. Mm. Like, the person doing it was very comfortable, but me personally witnessing someone drinking a glass of fresh urine, that was a little bit uncomfortable, but I knew she wanted to do it, and I knew she'd want a photo of it. 
I also saw as well that you hiring out a dungeon and some rooms within it. So display more what's happening with that. So I actually won room hire at this new dungeon. It is an official dungeon, proper venue and everything. Um, what's an official dungeon? So then is it... It's, it's just like the whole building is always a dungeon. It's not like part-time house, part-time dungeon sort of thing. Like it's a venue, it's a business. Traveling professional doms are going to go there and hire out rooms and service their clients. So they have themed rooms. I was lucky enough to win something for once, which is amazing. So I thought, I don't know, it might be a good opportunity to repay some of the community who's helped me out. Like I basically relied on them for my entire university project last year and... I got a high distinction and I won an award for it and I just feel so grateful for them for letting me into their world and so I just want to just have like a massive photo shoot party with anyone who wants to come basically. Shit's going to get weird but it's going to be awesome. (laughs) So what kind of rooms you got hired in there then? Uh, So there's a BDSM dungeon slash rope room. I don't know. It's got this like massive black leather bed and like mirrors and a throne. It's just so dramatic. It's going to be quite epic. Mm -hmm. And the other one is this hospital slash interrogation room, I guess, depending on what you're into that particular day. It's got cage in the corner. And I think it has these little like morgue trays that you can pull out of the wall so it's just oh. like it's stuff you wouldn't normally see. You'd have to set up a whole studio for that kind of stuff. But this is just like there and it's available and I can come and I can leave. It's just going to be an amazing opportunity. So what's the biggest misconception since you've immersed yourself so much into this culture? What's the biggest misconception that you've realized through this experience? I guess that people still think there's something wrong with someone in order for them to be interested in BDSM. But that's just not true. Like, there's nothing wrong with someone who's gay. There's nothing wrong with someone who's transgender. It's just who they are, you know? Some people are just born masochistic and being hurt makes them happy. So who are we to judge? Hmm, Definitely. And so you're about to do your honours at university. Yay. Yes, congratulations. <laughs> and I saw that you're doing your exegesis on the process of death. What made you decide to choose this theme? Um, so a lot of people I know have died. I've never seen a dead body. I've never been there for a wake. I've never witnessed what happens after you die. It's just like one minute they were there and the next they're gone and we have to go to a funeral and we don't know why. And there's this like cognitive dissonance in my brain that I guess won't really let me accept that the people are gone. And I just think that's reflective of wider society's, I guess, attitudes or relationships with death. Like we want to hide it away so we don't have to think about us dying eventually but that in turn stops us grieving the people that we've lost properly. What have you found out and discovered through that so far through that research? I really fucking hate embalming is the first thing. Mm -hmm. It's a completely useless practice. What's embalming again? 
Embalming is when you replace all the blood in a body with chemicals to slow the decay of the body. The thing is, they do that with every single body, even if they're being cremated, even if the, bo even if the body isn't going to be viewed by the family members. So it's kind of, like, it's very costly. When you die, you're supposed to decay. I just, I just don't understand why you would try to slow that. It kind of just results in some really fucked up looking corpses. I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. This is why I'm researching all this, because I just, I want to know. I want to lift the curtain. I want to see, like, what happens and why and how is that helping? Is it harming? Like, can we make this better for everyone? So how are you researching it so far? Have you visited, like, a, a funeral home or morgue or anything like that? Not yet. Um, I've been reading Caitlin Doughty's books. She has a really popular YouTube channel called Ask a Mortician, and her books are amazing. They're basically, like, memoirs of her experience working in a crematorium as a female and as a young person. She's just really opened my eyes to, like, death positivity, which I didn't even know was a thing. Yeah, I guess that's... That's what sparked it. I've read her two books and I'm just sleuthing online for any creepy shit I can find. <laughs> yeah. I've always been a morbid kid. Mm. Like it probably started when my mum's best friend died really suddenly of a heart attack. We used to visit her like a lot. So she was kind of my friend too, even though I was five and she was like 60, but still. And I wasn't allowed to go to her funeral. I didn't know why. I think mum was trying to protect me from that but and I think a lot of parents probably do that with their kids but ultimately I don't know that it helped me in any way. So when you go home at the end of the day you got all these photography projects thoughts and ideas in your head you know body positivity and then kink and then death how do you go home at the end of the day and just not think about these three subjects three topics that are just so different and so involved in your life how do you go home at the end of the day and just be like ah chill and not <laughs> not think about okay. it <laughs> so the thing about me is I have major depression and I use all of these projects to distract myself from some pretty dark thoughts I have in my brain so going home I just keep thinking about them and that's probably why I have so many projects on the go at once because if my brain stops then I stop yeah <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming into the studio today and talking about all your projects. Me. You did great. You oh, did thank you. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry What's if I sounded it? like a wanker, everyone. <laughs> you sounded good. You sounded good. <laughs> for more information on Kathy Ross, check out her Instagram pages, Cathaway, Ms. Kink Photography, Kathy Ross Photo, and Adalog Kath. I'll leave the link in the show notes of her various Instagram pages. Thank you so much for listening to episode two of the Nasty Woman Club. Make sure you check out the Nasty Woman Club Facebook page and Instagram page. This show was hosted and produced by myself, Demi Lynch. The Nasty Woman Club is a show dedicated to inspiring women telling their inspiring stories. So if you know someone that is inspiring and a badass nasty woman, please nominate them to be featured on the show by emailing the show at... Demi K. Lynch at gmail.com.